smells Jesus-y. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. We are the aroma of Christ. God has spoken. Welcome to Smells Jesus-y, a podcast from Three Crosses Church. Today we're finishing our series, Frontline Sundays. In today's episode, Doug Bell will be speaking to us from Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25. Together we grow. Here's Doug. Our Frontline series has made the point that we can be all the difference in the world, wherever we are, whatever we do, whoever we are. And today we'll see that together we grow. Well, growth, most of us are aware of a need to grow. We may feel inadequate for a certain challenge. We want to feel confident in a a relationship or for a task. We want to present our best self. Fortunately, over the last century, there's no shortage of self-help books out there. I love Michael Lunig's cartoon of the man in the library at the self-help section. If you've got that there, you'll see the, uh, oh, well, the, the uh, dilemma he seems to have. And uh, it seems that they might be futile, all those self-help books. Unfortunately, the vast majority of self-help books are written from a humanistic point of view, without reference to God. In the last few centuries, the Western world has been caught up with the idea of its own rational powers and existence. I think, therefore, I am. And the idea that the will is supreme, we can choose. We can even choose our identity. So in this age of mass production, we can consume the brands that match our chosen identity. We are consumed with the self. But there's little thought of growing in character or godliness. There seems to be no desire to approach God or seek his help. But our text today speaks of that desire. So today I want to remind us remind us of two things we Christians have and point out three ways we should respond. That is, three areas in which we can grow. I'll just read Hebrews again to you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain, That is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds and not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. In this passage, 
the writer is reviewing two great privileges and giving three ways we should respond to them. So let's look, look more closely at the two great privileges, the first half of our passage in 19 to 21. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Notice that there are two present possessions there. Two things these Jesus, believing Jews, had individually and together had, but had undervalued. Consequently, they were in danger of drifting away or even turning away from the living God. Coming out of a Jewish culture, they now feel pressured to return to Judaism because of persecution they've experienced as Christians. The two things they had they undervalued were one, a privileged access to God. That is, to be in his presence or to be in a relationship with him through Jesus. The most holy place is imagery for being in the presence of God. It is Old Testament imagery drawn from their history, their scriptures, which spoke of God's presence in the temple, the most holy place. These Jesus-believing Jews could be in God's presence because of Jesus' death. That's what by the blood of Jesus means. It's a new way because it brought in a new covenant, revealing the reality behind the imagery of the old covenant. It's a living way because the once for all sacrifice of Jesus, body on the cross, put an end to the sacrificial system. The temple curtain was torn in two at the time of Jesus' crucifixion, showing the end to temple worship. This sacrifice bridges cultures because Jesus died on a Roman cross. The Roman Empire represented the non-Jewish world. The death of the King of the Jews on a Roman cross shows the world's complicity in his death. But his resurrection shows that he is Lord of all. And his ascension, his going into heaven, shows that he now rules from there. This knowledge of Jesus atoning for us gives us a confidence to be in his presence. This leads to the second privilege they undervalued. The privilege of a heavenly intercessor. That is what is meant by, since we have a great priest over the house of God. Even now, Jesus is thinking of us and bringing our needs to the Father. Jesus is called a great priest. One, because great was often the word used to describe the high priest. And two, because as a high priest, he has ascended into the heavens. In contrast to Moses, Jesus is said to be over the house of God rather than just in it. Moses was faithful in all God's house. 
He opposed the idolatry that his brother allowed and he interceded for the people. But as an intercessor, Jesus is greater than Moses. When he was on earth, he not only suffered in temptation, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death and who has heard because of his reverent submission. This submission led him to sacrifice himself on our behalf. Now he is in the heavens, seated on the throne of grace at God's right hand. We have someone for us to speak for us in heaven. And how do we come into these privileges? We respond to a call in the Bible. God comes to us in the scriptures. In the scriptures, Christ comes to us on the cross. We see the perfect life he lived, even to the point of death. And we see him suffering so unjustly. We are condemned before him. And he is saying, I am your best self. And I gave myself for you. What can we say? But, Jesus, I want to identify with you and your kingdom. And because we are not on a cross alongside him, he says, trust me and take up your cross and follow me. If we respond to this call, we find ourselves belonging to God. We have these immense privileges. We have access to God and we have an intercessor alongside him. Do we appreciate that we have access to God and a heavenly intercessor? These are great possessions. Are we undervaluing them? Are we making the most of them? Well, here he uh, is given in this passage three ways to respond to these privileges. Three areas in which we can grow. Faith, hope, and love. Let me read 22 to 25. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Notice how many of the words in this letter are inclusive and plural. With words like brothers and sisters, we have for us, let us, our hearts, our bodies, we profess, we may, and one another. There's no hint here of individual Christianity. The sun is over the sun's house, over God's house, and we together are his house. So let's look at the three encouragements which begin with let us. 
The first area of growth is faith. Verse 22, let us draw near to God. And it says with the full assurance that faith brings. This is a call to continually take advantage of the privilege of access to God. An access that has brought us into a relationship with him. The gospel has drawn us to him. We draw near to him when we pray. We draw near as we trust him for salvation. As we worship, as we seek truth, as we exercise faith, as we grow in Christ. Although for us now, drawing near to God is through Jesus, it is not only as individuals. God draws us, the scattered, together. For he created us as social beings and in Christ we are brothers and sisters. Drawing near to God in full assurance of faith is earlier expressed as a confidence, a confidence to be in God's presence because of the atoning death of Christ. Our confidence or faith is in something done outside of us, done by Jesus on the cross. It's done in time, in history. It's done outside of the self outside of ourselves but when it's applied to us by God's spirit it's done in us it's applied to us the effect is a cleansed conscience cleansed from guilt it is an ongoing or continuously effective as the word having implies the gospel declared to us has a continuous effect on our minds it is continually applied as we continue to talk about this gift of grace, this, the gospel, as we gather. The gospel declared to us will have an effect on our bodies as well. We will see our bodies as washed, our past deeds washed away. We're being cleansed from the inside out. This imagery of sprinkling and washing is Old Testament imagery fulfilled in Jesus' death for us. It's the reality the imagery points to. As we talk about God's mercy in the gospel, we are transformed as our minds are renewed. This transformation works its way out to a changed behaviour. Gospel conversations, when we gather, help us grow as, uh, as a people. Gospel conversations help us develop godly ways of thinking about life, ourselves and others. When we approach God, whether it is to read his word or pray or meet with others who trust in Jesus, we are taking advantage of the immense privileges we have been given. The second area of growth is hope. And the call is, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. We acknowledge Jesus is our apostle sent to us from God. That's part of our profession. And, our, and we recognize him as our high priest. He's over this house. Usually today we would speak of hope as something 
of what we're not sure of. But we might say, oh, I'm not sure, but I hope so. He put that little qualifier in. But we are told earlier in this letter that this hope we're to hold on to unswervingly is an anchor for the soul. Biblical hope is holding on to something unseen, something invisible to the physical eye. It can be imagined by the mind's, mind's eye, but the thoughts of it are shaped by God's promises. And we express this hope by a profession of faith. So the writer reminds us, for he who promised is faithful. God's promises are what we are to hold to. The promises of eternal life, a new heaven, a new earth. Jesus' return. His word made the world and shapes our understanding of it and leads us into the future, to eternity. C.S. Lewis said, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one, the th the th uh, one of the things a Christian is meant to do. I guess postmodern people have to learn that uh, eternity is a reality. The Ap Apostle Paul said, love always hopes always perseveres let's not give in to disillusionment let's not stifle the enjoyment of in, in anticipating eternity together we can unswervingly hold to the hope we profess let's recognize the real want for heaven the longing we have and the realization that even the good things on earth don't fully satisfy We've had a taste of eternity. Let's talk about our privileges, our spiritual blessings, our hope in Christ. The third area of growth is love. Here the call is, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Consider here means to direct our minds and reflect on. It means considerable thinking about others and their needs. We can't separate the motivation, that is what it means to spur, from the person we are thinking about. It's not helpful to sit alone and think of ways to motivate people in general. We need to meet and get to know one another. Then we will be thinking of individuals to motivate. The biggest motivation I think can think of is example. I'm not thinking here of random acts of kindness, but intentional, practical love. Finding a person's need and helping, or even helping to get help. This is where one-to-one -one meetings and mini-team meetings help us to get to know one another. These are some of the contexts in which we can do the good deeds that encourage. Notice that our writer says, love and good deeds. Because the good deed is to come out of love. 
not just my gifting or my commitment or my show of sacrifice. Is love about me or about the other? It is possible to do things for others but only be thinking of myself. I know that. This is where a book like Tim Keller's The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness is helpful. In this book, he directs us to Paul's way to think about yourself. That is, not thinking about how others judge me or even about how I judge myself, but leaving judgment to God. There follows in, in verse 25 the negative effect of what may be the, a lack of love. Perhaps the original readers are giving in to fear or they're trying to maintain their Jewish connections, but they're losing their Christian connections. Whatever the reason, a habit of not meeting has developed. There, may, there are many social pressures today, so many choices that, we might cause, might, that might cause us to give up meeting together. But if we, if we make meeting together a habit and be intentional about it, it grows our relationships. So let's do the positive thing and meet and greet and encourage one another. The main way to encourage others is to just be here. You'll encourage service leaders. You'll encourage the musicians, you'll encourage the preacher. You may be all the difference to the person who, who just needs someone to listen to them. As we get to know one another, one another, one another, we will get to know what encourages each one of us. And what does this all the more as we listen, as we, as we see the day approaching mean? This day, in, it's in capital letters, the is the day of the Lord. It is the return of Jesus. I don't imagine all the more means ramping up our encouragement activities as we count down to Jesus' coming. We're not called to be frantic or to panic. And it's not like the answer to the announcement that the world's coming to an end that Spike Milligan gave once. The world's coming to an end. Oh, oh I'd better bring the washing in. Or is it? The common, selfless, everyday tasks like bringing in the washing... That's what we should be doing. No service to a brother or sister in Christ can be beneath us until Jesus returns. Then encouraging one another would become a common, selfless, everyday occurrence. Then we'll be together, growing in faith, hope, and love. So brothers and sisters, since we have this relationship to God, let's exercise our faith. 
and meet with God and with each other, holding on to a hope in eternal realities. And let's love and do good to each other and others beyond our gathering until our Lord and Saviour returns. Then, together we will grow, whoever we are, whatever we do, wherever we are, we can be all the difference in the world.